Living in a Fishbowl, the life of a pastor's wife. Welcome to Read Church. I'm Marshall Fant, the Director of Church Consulting and Strategic Planning for Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. My purpose is to encourage pastors and church leaders as you refocus, renew, and revitalize your churches. We've established this podcast to offer practical tips and suggestions as you equip disciples to make disciples. Welcome back to GFA's ReChurch. We like to have some podcasts that deal with all topics of church life. And so today I'm privileged to have Helen Golson with us. Helen, welcome. Glad to be here. And my wife, Gretchen. Gretchen, welcome back. Gretchen's been with us before. I want to make sure you are aware of a great opportunity coming up this coming Saturday, uh, September 26th. GFA is hosting a virtual roundtable on mission topics, and this month's mission topic is called Privileged by Grace, Debtors to the Lost. This is a virtual roundtable that takes place on Zoom with missionaries and a moderator to guide the discussion. And the interesting topic would be there are certain places that are gospel impoverished that you might consider going. So that will be the topic of this coming Saturday. So again, you can register for that. Go to gfamissions.org slash roundtables, that's with an S. So if you'll go there, you'll find all the information you need to register. And we'd love to have you join us again this coming Saturday, September 26th, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. But talking about roundtable, now we've got a roundtable living in a fishbowl. So that round bowl <laughs> that pastors and their wives live in. So Helen, uh, tell our listeners, many of them know you. Uh, your husband's name is? Wayne Golson. And you all pastored for many years in Florida. Right. So uh, how many total years of ministry did y'all do, you know, as husband-wife team? Well, we started out in 1967 in youth work, and that kind of gave me a little bit of groundwork to start with. Then he says the Lord didn't trust him with a church until (laughs) about 14 years later. So we were almost 30 years in Florida, and then since uh, 2009 we've been interim work. And y'all have done several, what, seven, six, eight, seven, eight eight churches. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Gretchen, we were a team for 20 years. In 20, 21 years in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Uh, before that, we had a family business in Anderson, South Carolina, but we actually in ministry together for 21 years. All right, so today's topic, we're really aiming this at pastors' wives, pastors, deacons, deacons' wives, really anybody in the church to understand a little bit from a, from a pastor's wife's perspective, the idea of maybe living in a fishbowl and in that, there brings some strain to some relationships. So, so really where I want to go with three different areas, okay? So Helen and Gretchen, let's go down this road. So living in a fishbowl, how does it affect relationships with you within the church? How does it affect you within your family as you're rearing children? And then your personal life. So how does it do all that? So let's just throw some things out as we get started. So Helen, what are some things about living under a microscope as far as your relationships within the church. Let's just start talking through this and we'll follow up with different questions. Well, in the church, I think each woman is individual about what her gifts are. And I don't think that a so-called pastor's wife is going to necessarily fit the bill for everybody. I remember saying, after we'd been in the ministry about 15 years, if I had read some of the books about being a pastor's wife, I would never have gone into it because (laughs) it seemed too impossible. But, you know, you hit the challenges, and one at a time the Lord equips you at that moment or has somebody beside you to help. He just doesn't stick you in a place that you can't figure out what you ought to do by His help or by somebody else's help. All right, now let's back up, because you and I were talking a minute ago, and you mentioned the fact 
that you felt unworthy even to marry Wayne because he was called to be a pastor. So we would were, you just comment on that? We dated as uh, kind of a blind date just and immediately clicked as friends. Mm -hmm. But within just weeks, I got super cold feet because I realized he was headed into ministry. And although I saw that as a privilege, I knew I wasn't qualified for that. Mm -hmm. There were so many gaps in my upbringing. I had wonderful people of integrity as parents, but they were super busy. We didn't do entertaining. Mm -hmm. We were a very reserved family like all shucks. I don't want to ever bother anybody about anything. And that, you know, that has mm -hmm. some problems. So I, I really backed up to even date him because of that. So the Lord has really had to uh, pull me along sometimes kicking and screaming, but there was always somebody who beat me up. Okay, but along the way, God gave you people to encourage you in this right. ministry. Gretchen, you want to comment just first as we talk about the relationships in the church, friendships in the church, the challenges, the the blessings, or how, you, how would you start this conversation? I think it is really a blessing to be a pastor's wife. It's a blessing to, um, to just, just to be in the church and to have so many friends and, and be able to minister to so many people. I think what most people don't realize is that many pastor's wives uh, minister in a lot of fear. Mm. And they bring this on themselves, they allow themselves to do this, but they have this fear that somehow they are supposed to be uh, different and they're supposed to be perfect and they're supposed to keep everyone happy and that sort of thing. And so I think a lot of the, the problems that we face go back to our view of our role and our responsibilities in the church. I don't believe the pastor's wife really has any other specific responsibilities than any church member should have. And like Helen said, it will depend on her Gifting. Some people yeah. think, oh, the pastor's wife is coming now. She can play the piano. Well, maybe you don't play the piano. Or the pastor's wife now, she can uh, lead ladies' Bible studies. Well, maybe that's not what God has called her to do. Maybe God has called someone else in the church to do that. Mm -hmm. So I think I think when, when, a, when a pastor's wife allows herself to be driven by the expectations of other people. The fear of saying, man. The mm -hmm. fear of man. That's yeah. the fear of man. Right. And she's not yeah. comfortable in her own skin and in, in a sense not really knowing what her own gifts are and what God has called her to do, it can be a very, very fearful experience. Now, Helen, do you feel the same way? Yes, and I, I was thinking one pastor's wife, her main um, expertise is flower decorating. So the women in her <laughs> church realize that if there's a wedding, then she's the go-to person to help, uh, and it saves them immense amounts of money yeah. in uh, doing for the bridal bouquet and for the arrangements. So that's her thing, and she doesn't worry about the ladies' Bible studies mm. uh, necessarily. So All right, so how, how does a pastor's wife stay within her giftedness within the church you know, because when they call a pastor, the wife's not on the payroll unless she's filling another role. Like she's not the assistant pastor. Exactly. <laughs> well said. All right. So how would you advise a young lady to be able to communicate that? Would that be with the pulpit committee up front? Would that be later on or Gretchen, either one? I think, I think you need to do it up front. I think yeah. those issues need to be talked about because expectations, if, if the church expects one thing and thinks they're getting two employees and this pastor's wife and she has children, she has to take care of at home and they're expecting her to run the women's ministry or whatever, and then it doesn't happen and it could cause a lot of conflict, Right, I would think. 
Well, when we would go into a church, of course, early on, um, I was very involved before the children were born, just right beside him, helping plan teen activities and that sort of thing. But when the kids were uh, coming along, then you're obviously pretty heavily involved in nursery, mm -hmm. um, but I always enjoyed choir and anything in, to do with music. So you kind of begin to settle in and find um, a, a place that you can fit along with your housewifely and motherly duties. And then gradually you, you sort of know what you can do and can't do. With the small churches that we've been helping more recently, I've had to do things right. that I haven't had to do in the larger churches. And fortunately, I'm older now, so I've seen people make mistakes. I've made enough of my own that I can avoid some of the major pitfalls. But I think early on, you just gradually begin to find out, oh, this lady is so good at that, I don't need to worry about that. Okay. You know, And finding people and matching people up to each other, that was one of the things that, that I found to be a challenge was I really enjoy people. Can we branch off a little bit into yeah. friends while we're sure. talking about this? I enjoyed seeing two people who had similar talents introducing them to each other and watching that little area take off. Mm. And, you know, even walking into a shower where you can get acquainted with women a little bit, I enjoyed introducing two people that didn't know each other. Oh, you know that so-and-so is related to, and, mm. and you begin to pull people together that way. So I guess in some ways I was more of a facilitator-delegator than... I never said that before in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Put a microphone in front what, of Helen, you, and it's amazing what happened. Helen, a lot of what you said, I think it really should be said of any really active church member, yeah. except for maybe the matching people up. Maybe the average church member doesn't feel like they should do that. I don't know. I think they should. I think that if you went into a church and even you weren't a pastor's wife, you would yeah. probably be doing those things. So I think that's what people need to realize, that everyone needs to serve. And the pastor's wife, in many ways, is no different. Although someone told me one time, and I think it's true, everything she does and says has a big exclamation point after it. Oh. Would you agree with that? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, in the minds of the people, for some reason, this is where I think it's different, okay, is that everything she says has an exclamation point, everything she does. In other words, people see you a little differently, and I do think it's important to recognize that Unfortunately, you may be right, and I think particularly in the generation past, I'm not so sure that this generation now mm -hmm. feels so much that way, yeah. for good or for bad. It seems to me that the Titus passages about husbands, um, you know, men going into the ministry or deacons, those qualifications that fit the husbands and the wives really should be true of anybody in the church. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so if before God I'm trying to fear God, and not man, then anything I do in public is what I ought to be doing at home. Anything I do at home ought to be the same as in the public eye. And, and it's hard for me to, to think that I'm being looked at. But All right, let me pick up on something you said, Helen. So as you're in a meeting and you're trying to put this lady with another lady to be friends, and what happens if the, that lady really wants you to be her best friend? All right, so it's the pastor's wife. You have, you're trying to you know, pair people up, but in the church, how does a pastor's wife handle it when someone wants them to be their best friend? Well, I think that does happen for various reasons, and usually that person is needy for a number of reasons. I would hope that it could be handled carefully, 
my friendships in church tended to be connected to whatever project I was working on, whether it was a missions conference or a banquet or working in the nursery or whatever. And then as years passed, it seemed to be more toward either the widows or the single moms or the ones who'd just gone through divorces. It is a very tricky thing when you've got somebody who wants more of you than you've got to give. Yeah. Um, and I, they're singling you out and want that special friendship just with her. Does that make sense? Yes, I understand. Yeah. I, I did try to sometimes, if I sensed that, which it's not been often, tried to say that my husband has always been my best friend okay. and that I don't really do major shopping, social um, going out and doing a lot of fun things. There's too much um, demand. He's not just you and this person. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. What do you say, Gretchen? Yeah, well, Gretchen. I think that happens, and I think the, the key is to be transparent. And, in fact, I've had that happen, and I've said to a person who said, you know, oh, can we be best friends? Can we? And I've said, uh, you know, I, I know you understand, but in the position I'm in, I really need to have a lot of friends. And usually people understand that. But I think the bigger problem is when the pastor's wife feels that she must have a best friend and confidant. If that happens in the church, it I think is most certainly going to cause trouble because there are, and maybe it's a personality thing, I don't know, but there are some people who feel that they have to have one best friend that they tell all their secrets to, and that's where I think people are looking for friends to do something for them. Mm. And friendship is really not a goal, should not be a goal in your life. It is a byproduct mm. of serving and loving others. Mm -hmm. And I think if we love people, if our focus is on just loving people and serving people, we will find that we'll have many friends and we won't feel the need to have one particular friend that might replace, like Helen said, replace our husband. So. All right, so really what you're both saying is the husband needs to be their best friend. Yes. yes, and one reason that that would be true, I know uh, my husband doesn't come home from counseling and tell me what has been said. However, if people happen to see a car somewhere, I don't want there to be any question in among the women that I know things that I'm going to tell a best friend mm -hmm. of who you know yeah. who came to the office to see Wayne or who who has this problem. And if you've got a best friend, other women are perhaps questioning: Are they? Mm -hmm. Is she telling her about what mm -hmm. I said to her sure. last week? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, not that you would, but that's, that would be a perception, perhaps. Okay. Let's shift to the family, to the immediate family. So how does this affect rearing children when the whole church is watching? Gretchen, I'll let you go first since I've been picking on Helen first. So <laughs> how, how does this affect rearing children? I think we need to not take ourselves too seriously and not put so much pressure on ourselves that we feel that our somehow our kids have to be perfect. There's no way we could have done that. We have five children. Our kids got blamed for everything, particularly the boys. And your standard and answer was? My, your, your standard, my standard answer, answer was, nothing you say will surprise me right. when they would say, you know what your son did or whatever. So I think we need to be transparent, mm. uh, not try to make it sound like, oh, my children are you know, perfect or my children are off limits. We never want to make other people think that our children are off limits. You can't correct my children. Right. And I think that you just have to have tough skin, you know, because people do look at the preacher's kids differently than they do other kids. They'll be more they'll be more critical. So we have still do two girls, <laughs> three boys. 
Yes. They were in the formative years of repainting the church. They were teenagers and below. Mm-hmm. Okay, now Helen, your family makeup. We have two boys, two girls, and one of the early things I had to decide was, what are the guidelines that we as parents want our kids to obey? Like, you know, what are the bare bones things that are that are important, and focus on those, and not what I think other people feel like I should do. And um, that took some pressure off because I knew what we expected from both of our upbringing um, in obedience and then some of the extra things I didn't worry about. I did talk to um, talk to our son this morning and, um, and I said, uh, did you feel the pressure of being in a goldfish bowl? And I told him what we were going to do today and he said, well, he said, um, I never heard you ever say or dad say you're a preacher's kid you've got to be so and so. He said you ne- you guys never pull that out. He said I think the older that we got the more we felt that pressure because we realized that there was an impact on how we behaved like on the soccer field or you know right. however there's a big exclamation point after it right right <laughs> right, right right and how it might affect right. our ministry right. and and that uh, he said Mostly it would be twits from like some of the little old ladies that would be kind of almost half a compliment and half of a reminder. He said it was the kind of thing that, you know, you you felt it, you heard it, but it wasn't, it didn't just ruin you. You know, I think if the parent, in fact, I know if the parent says that to the child, you know, be careful how you act or dad might lose his job or whatever. They are actually training the child to fear man. And, and possibly building bitterness against the ministry. And possibly, yes. Yeah. Possibly sure. building bitterness. That is, you never, ever do that. You never make them fear people and live. And I guess that's the theme of all of this, is living according to other people's expectations. Mm-hmm. We don't do that. So we can't do that, even though it's temp- tempting to do that. Yeah, I think one of the verses we were actually going to talk to is Matthew 22, that we have two commandments, to love God and love others. Mm-hmm. And as we're doing that and serving God by doing that, it kind of removes the fear of man in what we're trying to do. Uh, Ellen, any other uh, comments you want to make there about the family life? Well, the expectations thing, I, I say that in some cases it was helpful to me because um, in one place that we lived, we were right in the backyard of the church, and the entrance to our house was through the back door and through the laundry room. Okay, well, that was good self-discipline for me to keep the laundry in, at least in some <laughs> semblance of order. It was also very good for me to immediately get dressed first thing in the morning. So, you know, they even emotionally speaking, that kind of prepared you for the day. So that was good self-discipline. Those expectations were not bad for me. But I'd like to, to make a comment about one thing. Uh, in this business of um, making friends and having ministry, uh, I had it pointed out to me one time when I was trying to use bashfulness as an excuse for not greeting people. Um, I was an assistant teacher in a pretty good sized class of women and I was told to help. And I thought I was going to be a clerk, just check off who's there. And she said, no, I need you to speak to every one of those women. And I said, well, that makes me a social butterfly. I can't go gadding about speaking to everybody. And she said, look here, that's pride. She said, those women have struggled to get to Sunday school. Many of them are in difficulty. Mm-hmm. They need somebody to ask them, how are you doing? What's going on, you know, and can I help or whatever? And she, I rejected what she said at first, and then the more I thought about it, it is pride. It's self-consciousness. 
Mm. It was self. It's not esteeming others as better than yourself. Right. So right. I was not loving God and loving others. I was loving mm. what I thought people thought about me. Uh-huh. Mm. And demands put on you sometimes mm. stretches. Uh, Gretchen, anything else about family life? And then we'll go to the personal side of things and, and kind of any other thoughts you may have about the fishbowl. No, I think, I think that's good. I just decided early on that my kids were going to blow it and I was going to blow it. And yeah. so be it. <laughs> Yeah. So, Helen? Uh, just before this session, we were talking about the fact uh, you've got challenges as a pastor's wife, but so does an astronaut's wife, and so does a doctor's wife. She knows what's expected of her. If you go in, if you marry a military man, you've got challenges that nobody else quite has. And so I also think of the fact that while we can sometimes think that the pastor's wife may feel alone or that nobody quite understands. I think of some of the great pioneer missionary mm-hmm. women. Um, you think about Mala Mo and, well, Anne Dreisbach and uh, Gladys Aylward and some of these women that are out there struggling alone. And I think, what am I facing compared to the sacrifices that they've made? So mm-hmm. it's kind of a comparison thing. We're, yeah. we're, um, we're all too apt to say, poor me. And then perceptions. Um, sometimes we perceive that people are saying things when in fact they're so busy thinking about themselves that they're, <laughs> they're, they're really not so concerned with us, except the rare one, that the enemy makes sure that you hear that, that piece of um, gossip that was said about you and, and then he blows it up in your mind and think everybody thinks this about me. Yeah, and, and there's spiritual warfare right. within the church and we need to be aware of the pastor's family and the husband-wife relationship and uh, the fishbowl effect. Any other comments you want to make, Gretchen and Helen, on the idea? Um, again, I want this podcast to be an encouragement and maybe for pastors' wives and pastors and, and deacons and deacons' wives to be able to pick up some nuggets of how they can best minister. But I do like what Helen said when you, you know, every occupation or calling has challenges for the couple. Yes, and every unpleasant circumstance that you encounter as a pastor's wife, say somebody says something to you or whatever, is an opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking as Helen was talking that about how God, my whole life, and I think he does this probably with everyone, he brings people into your life are, that are like mirrors. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're honest with yourself, you look at these people and they might, they, they, they have a lot of your qualities, the same qualities. And if put in their situation, you probably could be doing or saying the same thing that they are. And so you have to learn not to, to judge others uh, on a harsh standard. I'm, I'm not saying you don't correct gossip and things like that, but you be careful not to have the attitude of, well, I know I do this, but at least I don't mm. blank with the people that are maybe oppo- uh, saying things that may oppose you or whatever, or uh, criticizing you. So I think every opportunity, I think there's a opportunity for growth, I should say. There's a lot of opportunity for growth as a pastor's wife because you are viewed by many people as a different kind of person. As a, I thought that before we went in the ministry. I thought pastor's wives were, were just different, and they're not. And so uh, people just automatically view you that way. So there are some challenges, but they're really good challenges. They're all designed by God to help us to grow. Good, Helen. I'm glad the Lord takes us where we are and sees the heart motive. And in His mercy, He uh, He's the one who 
orchestrates filling in the gaps, mm. um, both of background and our own personal problems of, I think women are really bad about comparing themselves with each other and coming up short. And then the enemy plays into that, of course. So I think as the Lord sees the heart motive, I want to serve. And if my service right now is to be filling in with whatever my husband needs me to do, and then filling in in the church in whatever I should be as a servant of the church, then we expect God to equip us for this day, this moment, this task, as uh, Nancy DeMoss says. All right, so I'm going to ask you one question off script, okay? To wrap it up, both of you have sons in ministry. You have a son that's a missionary, Helen, in South Africa, is that right? right? And Gretchen, you, two of our sons are pastors. So you have their wife, and you want to encourage her with just one thing today. So if you were speaking to your daughter-in-law today, and you want it as a pastor's wife, and you just want to encourage her in one thing, because they got all these pressures, what would it be? I think one of the the best verses the Lord ever gave me was in Colossians, where it says, talking about Christ in chapter one, and that, that He is before all things, and by Him all things consist, things hold together. He holds the world together. He holds the church together. You do not. Mm. And I think sometimes, I don't know, maybe it was just me, but I felt this, and it's, it's, it's a terrible thing to think that somehow that I'm, I'm hold, I, don't, I don't think I really felt I was holding the church together, but I felt, had so this feeling, pressure. I get the pressure that yeah. if I did something wrong, everything was going to fall apart. Mm. So I guess that's what I'm saying, is that my, somehow my behavior or, uh, yeah, I've got to make sure everybody likes me. Whatever. I can't. You cannot think that way. I would tell them, you, you just serve God and don't feel like you have to do everything. When a pastor's wife does too much, mm-hmm. then other women in the church do not rise up and use their gifts because they're always going to let the pastor's wife do it. So I think maybe those thing, mm-hmm. things is just to relax. You don't hold the church together and pl- don't don't try to do too much. Don't think that you have to fill in every gap because you don't. And in fact, if you do, it may be actually unhealthy, harm, harm, yeah. unhealthy and yeah. harmful. Yes. Yeah. I, I like that. In fact, um, a thing that's being said at our house often is to me, is being said to me, is honey, you can't fix it. Because even sometimes in my compassion for a, a hurting family, I'm trying, my mind is going every which way trying to fix it. And as um, Gretchen has said, or if you've blown it in some area and you think this, this is not fixable, well, yes, God can. Mm-hmm. But if, if you're serving in love, both love for the Lord increasingly, and you're increasing in your love for each other as husband and wife, and together you're reaching out to, uh, to love your people, mm-hmm. then the Lord can use even our... Um, even our blunders, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. While living in a fishbowl. Yep. Okay. That's right. All right, Helen, thank you. Gretchen, thank you. Thank you. Again, this is Marshall Fant with GFA Missions. I want to thank GFA for sponsoring the podcast. And if you have any follow-up questions on this topic, you can email me, and I will get it to Gretchen and Helen. Maybe we can do a, another podcast on this. Again, mfant at gfamissions.org. Thank you so much for listening. You're listening to ReChurch, a podcast of Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. If you would like more information about our ministry or how we may assist you and your church, visit us at gfamissions.org slash consulting.